if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that the last couple weeks we've been kind of walking through themes of Advent. So we talked about hope, we talked about peace. Today we're going to talk about joy, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. Instead of kind of giving you an overview of the concept of joy with multiple passages, we're actually going to dig down into one passage this morning, and I think it's going to be a fairly familiar one to to many of us. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Luke 2. The passage where the angels and the shepherds interact and proclaim the birth of the Lord. So Luke chapter 2, and I'm starting here uh, in verse 8. Listen now as I read to us from God's word. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, it is good to, uh, to see this proclamation, to hear these angels singing your glory, to hear what is spoken, that there is one who has come to change the world. Will you open our hearts this morning, clear our eyes, unstop our ears, soften us that we might hear what you have to say to us. Lord, do this by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're just going to dive into this passage here. It's actually um, it's a kind of a preacher's dream, this passage, because it's split into, uh, into three different segments, and you know we can only count in threes. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to look at, it kind of in three segments, and I've even, I've even given them a title each that starts with the same first letter. So you, that's free. You don't have to pay extra for that one. But we'll look at the first little section about the angels receiving this joyous message, or the shepherds, excuse me, receiving this joyous message of the angels. And then we'll see that they respond, and then they return. So those are three sections in this, in this scripture here, receive, respond, and return. And we're going to look at that because it's a great model of faith for us. We get to watch these shepherds and the way that they interact with this joyous message of the coming of Christ. And we get to wrestle with those same things ourselves. What are we to do with the message of Christmas? So let's jump into it here. 
First of all, receive this joyous message. Let me read to you again those first few verses. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. They were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those in whom he is pleased. Our setting opens up, and we're somewhere near Bethlehem, and there are some shepherds out in the field, and they're doing what shepherds do. They're keeping their sheep. They're hanging out with their sheep. Maybe they're in the middle of cooking their dinner. Maybe they're herding them. We're not exactly sure. And an angel shows up, which is a fairly uncommon occurrence. An angel shows up, and they are, like everybody that always sees an angel in the Bible, deathly afraid. Because this angel shows up, and you know the picture we get oftentimes is that he's kind of hovering above. We're not told that in the text. Maybe he's standing in front of them. We're not really sure. But whatever it is, he's made an impression. And what he gives them is this threefold message. He says it's a message of good news that brings great joy for all people. Good news that brings great joy for all people. That word good news is the Greek word that we translate gospel all throughout the Bible. It is the news, the proclamation of something amazing happening. It's actually the Greek word that would describe a king coming into town after a victory, and he would send a herald out in front into the town, and that herald would proclaim, the king is coming, and he is victorious. He's riding in in this wonderful procession. Everybody get ready because there's great news. That's the good news that is proclaimed. And that good news is supposed to do something to the people. The angel says it's good news that brings great joy. That gospel proclamation is meant to change the people who hear it. Now, joy is something that we oftentimes throw around uh, a lot in our culture. In the words we use, we think of it as just maybe a feeling or maybe it's a nice little scripty word that we can see on the walls of Hobby Lobby or whatever it is. But joy, biblically speaking, is something more. Joy is deep delight in God and in what he has done, even despite the circumstances. See, joy is not happiness because of your circumstance. Joy is delight in God, even in spite sometimes of the circumstances. It's not simply an emotion, although it produces an emotional response. But joy is actually a resting in and a delighting in a person. So it's good news that brings great joy, and it's for who? All people. The angel does not proclaim that this is a good message that's going to bring joy for a certain class of people. He doesn't say this is good news, it's going to bring great joy for a certain race of people. He says this is the good news that is here to be heard by and received by everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike, rich and poor. I mean, it's made really clear in who he delivers the message to. They are shepherds. Shepherds are not high-class people. 
Shepherds are the kind of folks where if they were coming for dinner, you would want to make sure you told them to shower ahead of time. They're outside hanging out with sheep all the time. They're dirty people. They're not the folks you just kind of want to rub elbows with. They're not high society, shined up folks. They are the regular, lowly folks. Of course, Jesus continues to come to all the wrong people, doesn't he? Jesus, throughout all the Gospels, is coming and talking to prostitutes and tax collectors and lepers and sick people and poor people and outcasts. You know, the Gospel message that brings great joy is for all people now, too. That means it's for wounded people, people who've been wounded by others that they thought loved them. People who've been wounded by the church. People who've been wounded by the experiences in their lives. People who see themselves as sick because they can't get rid of the particular sin patterns in their life. People who are carrying the weight of guilt and shame. The gospel message, the good news that brings great joy is for regular folks like you and me. It's for the hurting It's for the needy. It's for the weary. That's the message that comes. And this angel says it's not just a a threefold message, but this one to come actually has even a threefold title. He is uh, a Savior, the Christ, and the Lord, the angel says. I am proclaiming that a Savior is coming who is Christ, the Lord. Those all three actually mean something different. A savior is a pretty easy one, right? We know that when a savior is one who saves. In Greek, it's the same as it is in English. It would describe someone who actually did something that everybody else needed done. If there were people in trouble, the savior would come and rescue them. He would save them. It was more often than not in the Old Testament used to describe God, the savior of his people, the one who rescued them out of Egypt, the one who released their bondage from them. Jesus is a savior, but he's not just kind of this, you know, uh, you know un, unknown savior or a savior who's just this broad sense. He's a specific savior too. He is the Christ. Now, Christ is the Greek word really reflecting the Old Testament understanding Messiah, which is anointed one. The one who's going to come, the anointed king in the line of David, who is going to fill, fulfill that lineage that God had promised to keep on forever, to sit on the throne of David and, David and be the king and the judge of his people. It is a Jewish king that the people are waiting for. The long promised and awaited for, the one that the prophets have been proclaiming is coming, the real king who would not only be in the line of David, but who has actually superseded David and is greater than David, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. But then he also says, the Lord, the Greek word kurios. Kurios would have been the term that Caesar would have owned for himself. Caesar is Lord was the cry throughout the Roman Empire. And of course, the cry throughout the New Testament and for the last 2,000 years for Christians has been what? Jesus is Lord. So this is not simply a Jewish king. This is a worldwide king. And to make it even better, the word that the Greek Old Testament used to translate the Lord's name in Hebrew was Lord. Lord. 
Kyrios. This is the one who has come in the line of David, who is a savior and is not only the king of the universe, but is the creator of the universe. That's who they're waiting for. And I love this. In the midst of this proclamation, in the midst of this one angel giving this incredible proclamation to these shepherds, what happens? (laughs) Is that a whole host of other angels show up and just burst forth in singing and in praise. I want you to just, just, just think about something for a minute. Just picture yourself. It's 1992, the year I graduated from high school. Don't do the math. And it's uh, the NCAA tournament, basketball tournament. It's the regional semifinals. The winner goes on to the final four, and it's Duke versus Kentucky. If you're a Kentucky fan, you're not going to like this story. If you're a North Carolina fan, you might not even like this story, but that's all right. Just hang with me. It's Duke, Kentucky. They're they're two of the best teams in college basketball that year, and they are slugging it out the whole game. It's an incredible game. In fact, by the end of regulation, it's tied. They go into overtime, and they're slugging it out in overtime too. And with two seconds left in the game, it's Kentucky 102, Duke 101. Kentucky's up one. It's Duke basketball, and they're inbounding it under their own basket, so the other side of the court. And with two seconds left, Grant Hill, who's inbounding it, takes the ball and throws it all the way across the court. Christian Leitner is posted up there at the opposite free throw line. He grabs it. He takes one dribble to the left, turns over his left shoulder, and he lets the ball go. And in midair, this is, if you've ever seen a last second shot, you know this experience, right? Whether it's this game or another. Everything just kind of goes quiet. It's like, it's like the whole arena takes a breath at the same time, and they're all holding their breath, and time just kind of stands still while the ball is in midair. And then as the ball drops through the hoop, everybody erupts, and the entire arena erupts in just this joyous, incredible praise. That's what happens here to these shepherds. The entire cosmos, it seems, All of the angelic choir just can't help but keep it in. They're all holding their breath, and then it just bursts out from them, and they've got to sing, hallelujah, praise God, glory to God in the highest. If you were there in this moment, it must have felt amazing to just be overwhelmed with this angelic praise. That's the first thing that we see here. Incredible announcement that these shepherds are called to receive. But if then, of course, what do you do when you receive something like that? You have to respond to it, don't you? And that's what we see actually in the next passage. I know I'm reading a lot, but it's helpful to hear it again. Listen again to these few verses. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So they respond to this joyous message by going to check it out. They say, okay, that was crazy, right? An angel showed up and then a whole bunch of angels showed up. What do we do about that? Well, obviously, we go check it out. 
So they dropped everything. We'll leave the sheep. We'll leave the stuff. We need to go, and we need to go now. Luke tells us they went in haste. They went quickly. They stopped what they were doing, and they went to see Jesus who was nearby. I mean, could you imagine not doing that? Could you imagine being the one guy who would be like, you know, I'll, I'll stay. I'll just stay with the sheep. I got some email to catch up on, right? I got my, my Instagram feed I need to kind of catch up on here. I don't need to see this announcement of the coming king of the world. Of course not. You go. You respond. You check it out. And there's actually three responses in this passage. I don't know if you picked this up. There are three different groups of people who respond to this message. The first is the shepherds. We saw that, and we'll actually see a little bit more of what they do in a minute. The second is what Luke calls the crowds. I don't know who that is. When they show up, there's some other folks there. Maybe it's other people at the inn. Maybe it's other shepherds. Maybe it's Mary and Joseph's family or friends. I don't know who it is, but there's people around people have somehow figured this out. Maybe somebody else has heard this proclamation and seen this angel choir and wants to go check it out. And so when the shepherds go there, Luke tells us that there are other people there. And listen to the way he describes what happens. He says, uh, he says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard the people around wondered at what the shepherds told them. They marveled. They were amazed. They were in wonderment. Now, that's a cool word, and it's a helpful word, but it's really an incomplete word. Because to simply be amazed at the message of Christmas is really not enough, is it? To be amazed is not to be changed. I saw this video not too long ago that was really, it's really cool. Uh, it was 2012, I think, and the um, Philadelphia, the opera, like the Philadelphia Opera Company, I think, had organized uh, this, um, this really cool flash mob. So there was this downtown Macy's store at Christmas in Philadelphia, and you can just imagine downtown Philadelphia at Christmas at Macy's is a hustling, bustling place. And this Macy's had somehow figured out how to get a pipe organ into their store. I don't, I don't know how they did that. But there's a big pipe organ in the middle of the store. And there's an organist there playing Christmas tunes. And it's fun. And everybody's mingling around. And it's really, it's packed. It's shoulder to shoulder. And they're doing all this Christmas shopping. And the organist is playing Handel's Messiah. And then when it gets to the Hallelujah Chorus and Handel's Messiah, something incredible happens is that about 600 of the people who were shopping in Macy's start singing. And it turns out they were all plants from various choirs throughout the city and churches and this opera company, and they all start singing the Hallelujah Chorus. And the people around them are just stunned. And you watch, actually, as people go from kind of stunned, a little bit of fear, to just this amazement, and all of the shopping stops, and everybody just stands there, and they listen in this huge building to 600 choir members singing with this, I think it actually was the world's biggest pipe organ at the time, and they're singing the Hallelujah Chorus and praising God, and everybody is in stunned silence. And when you watch it on YouTube, you, you see the, the, the comments, you know, on YouTube, and, and they're amazing. Most of the comments are things like, um, you know, it gave me goosebumps, and it was spine-tingling, and, and it brought me to tears. There was even one from an atheist that said, I'm an atheist, and I thought it was amazing. And someone responded, I'm Hindu, and I thought it was amazing too. And the truth is, it was amazing. 
It brought me to tears watching it. But the message of the incarnation needs to be more than just amazing to us. To simply be amazed by it is not enough. We are called actually to faith, to come and to draw near to this one who proclaims himself to be the king of our own hearts. And I think sometimes in our culture, because we just hear it so often, we can just kind of go deaf to that message. That word joy, we just see it every now and then. It's a Christmas ornament. It's a piece of kitsch that we just kind of keep on our kitchen table. It's a sign that we see out in the stores. It's something that somebody might just put out in their front yard. And so it just kind of becomes meh for us. Don't let it be just excitement. Don't miss the incarnation when you're excited about Christmas. Don't miss the glorious news, the good news of great joy for all people just to be excited about the season. Because it's more than warm feelings. It's more than happy families. It's more than fires and presents. Is the world-changing news that the king has come. That's the response of the crowds. Let's actually look at a better one. And it's the response we get of Mary here. Did you pick up on that? Mary says, Luke tells us, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. That's really an incredible phrase. It's tender. It's beautiful. But, you know, it's also a little odd, isn't it? There's kind of some processing going on there. And my guess is that Mary probably had a lot of processing to do. You know, Mary probably daily asked, what in the world is going on here? What is up? Who is this baby? Who is this young boy? Who is this young man? And as she's putting all those pieces together in her head, pieces, honestly, that probably don't all fit together for a long, long time, the way that she handles it is a wonderful encouragement to us. Because what does she do with the pieces that don't always totally fit together? What does she do when she isn't totally able to make sure the puzzle pieces always fit in the same place? She treasures them. She meditates on them. She contemplates them. She takes them to the Lord in faith. It's a wonderful model for us to be able to be in that place where we say, Lord, I'm not sure I know how everything fits together here. I'm not sure I know the outcome of this. I'm not sure I know how this is going to happen. I'm not even sure how to think about it. But I'm going to take it to you in faith. I'm going to treasure it even in my heart and know that you are going to care for me because you are good because that's what you do. So there's the response. Receive, respond, and then finally, we see, uh, we see the shepherds return to normal life. That's what happens in verse 20. We read this, is that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now, I think there is something that's implicit kind of in this passage that we oftentimes forget. It's that Luke does not tell us that they returned and immediately they started worshiping Jesus and following him and watching him perform miracles and heal the sick and raise the dead and all of that. Do you know why? It's because that didn't happen for another 30 years. Jesus doesn't start his public ministry until he's 30. So these shepherds hear this incredible proclamation And then they've got to wait 
30 years to see any evidence of it. You can imagine how hard it was probably with their neighbors who were like, you heard what? And it was an angel? And eh, are we sure about that? You know, are you sure you weren't just sleepy? Maybe it was a dream. Maybe you were smoking something. Was it, were you keeping sheep in Colorado that day? We don't know, right? So, you know, it was probably pretty hard for these shepherds to live with that for 30 years while they're waiting for Jesus to actually show evidence of the things that have been proclaimed to them. And, you know, that's also good for us, right? It's just hard to wait. We've been talking about this theme all throughout Advent, is that we have to wait so oftentimes. This is what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. It's important. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. The Lord just understands slowness differently than you do. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's not going to go back on his promise. It just calls us to wait for him. And I love this too. What, what do they do while they wait? Well, again, it's implicit in the passage, but they return to the regular stuff. It would be very odd, actually, and I think Luke would have told us if they had returned to do something really different than what they were doing before. The indication is, I think, that they return to do some shepherding. They return to their normal lives. They return to the regular, boring, everyday stuff that they were doing beforehand. There's a, uh, I just learned about this, there's a conference called the Boring Conference. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? The Boring Conference. Yeah, started in 2010. I'm just going to read you some of the things that happen at the Boring Conference. Speakers will give talks about things. Speakers have addressed the following topics. Sneezing. Toast. The sounds made by vending machines. The shipping forecast. Barcodes. Yellow lines. Assorted arcane features of the Yamaha PSR-175 Portatune keyboard. Inkjet printers of 1999. Ice cream van chimes. How to cook elaborate meals with the equipment found in hotel bedrooms. And similarities between 198 of the world's national anthems. Previous highlights also include a talk about electric hand dryers, by a man so fascinated by them that he had installed a Dyson Airblade in his house. And a speaker who rollerbladed around the hall while reading from a book about the relative weights and densities of different kinds of metals. Now, I know, put away your phones, you're all signing up for the Boring Conference right now. But the thing is, what's really great about that, and, and I was, I was, as I was reading that list, I really was kind of like, okay, those are kind of interesting. Right? And that's the whole point of the conference. It's like, let's get together and talk about normal, everyday, boring stuff. This actually kind of interesting stuff. And all of these people kind of geek out about it. But here's the thing, is that that's actually true of the Christian life too. God goes to work in incredible ways through the boring, everyday, regular stuff of our lives. Through the bathing and diapering and putting to bed of children, through the getting up 
and just going to work and being kind to the boss who doesn't treat you all that well, to the kindness that you show to your neighbor regularly, to inviting other people into your home. A single friend of mine told me the other day that sometimes she just goes and hangs out at a friend's house, and you know what they do? Nothing. She's just there while the kids eat their snacks and while discipline happens and while things have to be cleaned up and while life happens, and it is such an amazing ministry to her. God goes to work in those regular, mundane, boring, everyday things. And those shepherds, they return to their regular life. And they return to the regular stuff. And they return to the boring things. And they return to the everyday things. And they've got to do it for a long, long time. But this is really helpful and really important to remember. They don't return unchanged. They return as someone completely different. Heard a story the other day about a, a man named Lee Horton. He was released from jail. He was given clemency by the governor of his state after 25 years in jail. And it was great just, just having this guy write about the things that were so exciting to him when he got out of jail. And the first one was this. It was the feeling of sitting in a car without handcuffs on. Kind of a normal everyday thing, right, that we take for granted. Or of walking down the street in a city. He said he just walked down the street, he's beaming, smiling. And people are looking at him like, what is going on with that guy? And he's just happy because he's walking down the street. He said one of the first things he did was go to the DMV and get his license. And he's standing in line at the DMV, the thing everybody in the world hates to do. And he's so happy. And he's talking to people and they're like, do you, did you forget where you are? We're standing here and these people are going to take forever. It's going to be a terrible process. And he's so happy because he's standing in line to get his license. He's doing the everyday normal stuff. But friends, things change when you have been freed, don't they? Everything is different when you have been freed from bondage. That is what the Lord tells us as well. Is that Jesus has come to release us from bondage. He has come to take on the weight of our sin and our guilt and our shame. He has come to instill justice and righteousness in this world. He has come to erase mourning and crying and sadness and destruction. He has come to bring about a kingdom that will last forever. And when you know that hope, joy takes root in your heart. And the regular, everyday, mundane, boring stuff changes. Let me just close really briefly with this question. How do we respond to this? We see what the shepherds did. We saw Mary respond. What about us? Let me quickly address three groups of people here. First of all, if you're not sure you're a Christian, I want to point out something pretty interesting here. You know, these shepherds, Luke tells us, were nearby. They were right down the street from the birth of the Messiah. And they had no idea. Jesus was right next door. The greatest thing that ever happened in the world was right down the street for them. And they were spending all of their time doing shepherd stuff because they had no idea he was there. And when Jesus is announced by this angel, their worlds change. And friend, let me just tell you that Jesus is still near. Is that he is nearby and you may not be seeing him. 
You may be so close and just need to hear that proclamation that there's someone who has come to deal with you and with the world. If that's you this morning, will you just investigate him more closely? Find me afterwards. I'd love to help you with that. Secondly, for those of us who are Christians, but who have just fallen into that Christmas malaise, where it's just all kind of blah, 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 and it's just the stuff, and we've fallen asleep to it, and we have lost sight of the incarnation. Go back and read this description of Mary again. And let me encourage you to do some treasuring, some meditating, some contemplating on the incredible thing that has happened in this little town in Israel that has changed our little town in Texas and our lives. And then finally, for all of us, how do we wait? Because we're also in a time of waiting, aren't we? We're on this side of the incarnation and this side of the cross. It has been proclaimed, it has been dealt with, but we still don't see the new heavens and the new earth. So how do we wait for Jesus? We wait joyfully. We wait for Christ like a kid waits for Christmas. It is a long night on Christmas Eve, a sleepless night because the heart is racing and the excitement is there and the mind is going because there's so much joy. That's how we joyfully anticipate the coming of Christ. We long for it. We just can't wait for it because we're so, so happy. Even so, come quickly, Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have come to do something with our lives and with this world. That you didn't stay far off. That to hear this wonderful proclamation from these angels that there is good news. That it should change us. That it should create joy in our hearts. Lord, I confess that that is oftentimes not me. Will you change my heart this morning? And will you change all of us that we might respond and even return and proclaim having heard the word and clung to it in faith, that we would be sent out proclaiming the good news in all that we do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.